truth in this art. This is an episode of The Truth in This Art Beyond, and we're in the Big Easy, New Orleans, Louisiana, and I am thrilled to have my next guest, a restaurateur and a literacy advocate, as well as writer and so many other superlatives. Along with her husband, Scott, uh, she spent a lifetime composing their remarkable story as a couple who met as teenagers, uh, got married, and forged a relationship as business partners in one of New Orleans' most successful restaurants. She's a true inspiration, and I am honored to have her here today. Please welcome Jane Wolf. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Rob. Thank you very much for finding me. Yes. So I'm, I'm honored to be, I'm honored to be here with you. I, I appreciate it. And it's a um I, I was joking um about the whole connection, like ultimately how everything happened. It went from mm -hmm. like me meeting someone at the small press expo. I believe I met uh, Keith Knight at the small exp uh, small press expo. Okay who connected mm -hmm. me to Liza Donnelly, who connected me to you. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It's all about connections, right? Yes, yes. And and I, I'm I'm looking forward to learning because there are so many when and, you know visiting, you know, your space, there were so many like things that I saw there, questions that have come up. So this is going to be a lot of fun. Um mm -hmm. so starting off, I like to ask that sort of introductory question, right? Um yeah, yeah. And again, welcoming you to the podcast, but I want to get that question out there about like some of those roots. Like I find that a lot of our creative, a lot of our entrepreneurial roots, you know, are kind of put out there. Bedrock is out there when we're very, very young. So what were some of your like early creative interests, whether it was like, you know, reading, whether it was you had a lemonade stand or something as far as the entrepreneurial side, what were some of the things you were doing growing up? And I got a couple bullet points, but I at least want to start off there. Well, growing up, um, Rob, I was lucky enough to uh, be a part of a family that uh, my father worked for a furniture store for over 35 years. And I was lucky enough to be a part of his transition from working at a furniture store and going after 35, 40 years and taking a step to uh, own his own business. So uh, I saw that transition. It was it was in my family. Right. Yeah. And so when you say creative interest to be an entrepreneur or whatever or what I'm doing right now, I, I think there's great. Um, there's something beautiful about being a part of something. Right. That makes you think you're able to do it. Mm. So uh, to get into business. Um, I was lucky enough to see somebody go into business. Look, my daddy opened a little beauty grocery store, no more than a thousand square feet, but he did it. Yeah. And um, so that made me want to do things uh, creatively in regard to how am I doing what I'm doing now? That's all I can say is that when I was younger, um, I dreamed of being a priest or a teacher. <laughs> I mean, I used to play school. We played school a lot and we played church. That's what we did. And I remember I was the priest. I was the one giving the host and I was the teacher. So that's about the only creativeness I can think about that would take me to where I am today in regard to literacy and reading and in regard to, you know, spirituality and teaching more religions and that was what I did when I was young. Now I, I can I can see it. I can see it, and you know, definitely, mm -hmm. you know, with some of the conversation that we had uh, when uh, when Ku and I were there, and mm -hmm. you know, just going over like the the long list of like just like <laughs> press and everything. I was like, there is a lot here. I was like, I need to do this justice. This is going to be great. Uh -huh. And I, I I always talk about um, when I was younger. One of my uh, one of my early experiences that I can remember was being the masters of ceremony for like mm -hmm. elementary school play or something. Right. I was maybe five. Okay, yeah. I looked super mm -hmm. cute. I had like the same like face, uh -huh. the hair, you know, and uh, and yeah. now as I look upon that, I was like, yeah, this is kind of the that's probably the earliest point I can remember doing something in remotely close to what I'm doing now. Right. Remotely close. Yeah. But but it, it's funny. But I. I saw myself as a, a leader in those respects, right? So mm -hmm. the priest or the teacher, it's kind of interesting that it's just interesting when I look back in life and see that 
that's the creativeness that I saw yeah. from looking back. So and you the master and you the master ceremonies right now. <laughs> so some might say that. So I'm I'm trying. I'm trying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what sorts of like things were you like into growing up? Like, did you have a favorite book um that you were into? Like you remember reading, like, yep, that was I that had, book. Yeah. I had no favorite books. Oh, really? Not at all. My uh, I don't I don't remember books being uh discussed heavily <coughs> in my life. Mm-hmm. I do remember that my daddy made sure that we had the Britannica. Mm-hmm. We had the Encyclopedia Britannica. We had the, the junior division and we had the uh the the big one for adults. Yeah. I do remember that was in our, our house. And but that's the only books I remember. What I did when I was younger, uh Rob, yeah. I was in a church choir. Mm. I played the guitar and uh, I remember songs and, and singers more than I remember reading. I do not. Re- I did not have a favorite book growing up at all. I hear you. I hear um, you. W- which is unbelievable to even think about. But I um, I guess if you say the most favorite book was the Bible, but I did. The, I read the Bible by learning it through in a Catholic school. So we weren't big, heavy Bible readers every Friday night or Saturday or Sunday. But I was in a choir. I did play the guitar. My mama was the choir director at a Catholic church. And um, we practiced every week and we played songs. And I guess my one of my favorite um, singers in life was Barbara Streisand. Oh, wow. And and Neil Diamond, if you can believe that. <laughs> <laughs> Neil Diamond. Oh, and the Commodores. I did like the Commodores. That Lionel Richie, you know, he he got my attention. But uh, <laughs> I was more interested in singers than authors. I, I I didn't have a favorite author. But some 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 singers, um, I think a lot of them are, are storytellers. So in some ways, they are authors if they're singer songwriters, right. right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Barbara Streisand. I remember dreaming to sing like her. Seriously. Yeah. No, that's 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 great. Like, you know, having, you know, obviously family is a is a piece of it having, as you were describing with your father, as you're describing with your mother, like some of those mm-hmm. sort of early impactful things that, that are there that I think are kind of flourishing in what you're doing um yeah. within your career and the work that you're doing. So without burying the lead much more, tell us about Melba's. Like let's talk about that a little Melba's. bit. Um <laughs> I, I have, oh so I have, um, the, uh, you know, I read that it's uh, New Orleans' uh, most busy, uh, like, po'boy shop. Busiest po'boy <laughs> shop in, in America. That's my husband's marketing genius right there. I love it. Um, and, I, and also that um, a New Orleans po'boy is an intersection for everyone. Like, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. literally when I got off the plane, right, I was like, I need yeah. a po'boy stat. It's, it's like, right. I didn't hear about my luggage. I wanted a po'boy. Right. Yeah, we know for sure. <laughs> and also with that, let's let's talk about the business a little bit. Um, and also let's talk about just this other distinction of the only restaurant literacy program in the world. Like right. when I, when I saw world. those, those are both effective. Like my background was in marketing before <laughs> going into uh-huh. podcasting, right? So right. I'm seeing those. I was like, all right, I love it. I love right. it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, in marketing, and I learned this through through the grapevine in regard to doing it, right? Mm-hmm. You got to say what you're doing and you got to say what you're doing to everybody within seven words or less. Mm-hmm. And if you can't say what you're doing in seven words or less, you don't know what you're doing. Right. So uh, we are America's busiest po' boy shop because there's not a po' boy shop in New Orleans that's busier than us. Um, and it might be because we got a daiquiri shop attached to it. It might be because we got a laundromat attached to it. But the fact of the matter is, and it might be because we have a lot, we sell dinner plates and it might be because we open 24 hours. But the fact of the matter is we are the busiest po' boy shop in America. And we also, uh, and we also, um, the only restaurant that I know of in the world that has an active literacy program running through it. And uh, so Melby's is a 24-hour po' boy shop with a daiquiri and a you know, laundromat hooked to it. Um, and it started because my husband and I were in the grocery business for 35 years. Hurricane Tr- Katrina took us out of that. 
I went to school late in life. And one day he passed this location on the corner of Elysian Fields in Claiborne and said, you know, I think this is a good spot for a po' boy shop. Mm. And I said, yep, it sure is. Do it. So he did it. And the rest is history there. Um, and j- it just so happens that after being in business 40 years, I have uh, I have been bestowed and endowed with the ability to uh, see business from a social entrepreneurial perspective. And this spot is perfect as a vessel for what I'm doing now in regard to literacy. Yeah. So yeah. so it's a 24-hour po'boy shop with a laundromat and a, a daiquiri store. And we have over a thousand people a day that walk through. And we see people face to face. And that is a beautiful thing in and of itself right there. And the face to face interactions is something that is so important today. And and there's greater responsibility in, in, in recognizing yourself in that position. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and I'll say like, you know, and, and looking at it and, and get, being there and experiencing it mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. being able to see each part of it, it, it felt like mm-hmm. I always joke about it. It felt like I was visiting when I go to New Orleans. It's, it feels like I'm visiting like my cousins. It feels like that. Right. And, <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> and and being in each part, like I remember you told us, like, I'm going to be busy until one. I was like, cool, cool, cool. And while while we're waiting there, we happen to see you by mistake. You were like, coming there. It's like, oh, hey, guys. And yeah, yeah. And it was like just just really cool to like be in there. And I was like, I can't describe this place outside of being in this place. And it's right. just definitely to me, it feels like it's one of those sort of landmarks and just really great to be there. And also this idea of um, a business being sticky where yeah. you can go there, you can have breakfast, lunch, just 24 hours, what have you. You can have a pop, you can have a drink. Um, yeah, and yeah. You're, 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 you're yours. <laughs> Yeah, and I think you can also feel, right, when you're there, you can feel a lot going on when you're there. Mm-hmm. And what's and what's interesting and what I what I, what is most beautiful about Melba's is you don't you can come in your we've had people come in their wedding dress in a tuxedo, yeah. or they're on their way to a funeral, a farmer funeral, or they're going to a birthday party. Or so it's an area of town and it's a in in it in a, in a caters to everybody where they are and what they doing and there's some comfort to that you don't have to get dressed up to go but if you're dressed up you don't feel out of place you know and also there's something beautiful about having a laundromat attached to it and a daiquiri thing a daiquiri place and i always look at it's a place that's providing a need Mm. and i think that makes it more comfortable right when you go into a grocery store you know, you usually you usually comfortable in a grocery store yeah. for the most part. It's a shame we don't have many grocery stores. You know, Amazon taking over all of that. But mm-hmm. I mean, we have grocery stores. But when you walk into us, because the the, the place is providing a need, mm-hmm. whether it's a drink because you need a drink at the end of the day, whether you need your dawn clothes clean, or whether you need something to eat, there's something about going to a place that provides a need that makes it more comfortable. It's not like walking into a copy store, right? Yeah. yeah. So um, I don't know what I'm trying to get at at that no, answer, but-, but that's the feel you get in there. And I, and, I, and I pertain it to there's a lot of needs going on when you're in there. Yeah. And there's a lot of providing to the needs. Yeah. And it, it feels like you can just, just hang out. Like literally we were hanging yes. out for a bit. And, and I think that's part of the thing that makes that brand successful. If we, if we put it in those terms where there's no rush, there's no, you're going to have a conversation with people. I, um, I was reading this book about um, how to engage in small talk better. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they were talking about this idea of working your verbal muscle. Because like a oh, lot of yeah, times, right. you know, we don't go into a conversation. We just go into a dry. We haven't talked to anyone yet. And then yeah, yeah. inevitably something weird comes out. But I think being in there in this sort of face to face thing, I feel like I talked yes. to everybody that was on the staff at one point that was there. Yes, yes, yes. And that's and that's the thing. It's like, oh, OK. And, you know, and I'm and I'm trying out like this signature Jack Daiquiri. It's like, this is my joint. This is what I use. I was like, OK, cool. Right, and, right. 
and then and then being there to see you guys set up for the um sort of um the yeah the, but you the, helped the, us yeah, yeah, yeah and, you, and, and, <laughs> <laughs> that's how it is right when you have because you just turn around and say man can you help me yeah and it, and it was and it was not never a no that went through my mind. It was like, oh yeah, let's let's make this happen. Uh-huh. And and right. being in that spot, and it just felt like, oh yeah, I'm helping all my people. That's that's what it felt like. It felt like community. Right. That's right. And you, you know what somebody told me once? I had a professor sitting down in the laundromat with me one day. Yeah. And he said he's he's looking all around. And he's watching. He says, you know what? If Tennessee Williams, and I swear, I'm telling you the truth, Rob, this is his exact words. If Tennessee Williams were alive today, I could see him sitting right here and just writing all day about everybody that comes through Melvis. (laughs) I can see it. I can see it. (laughs) It's everybody. And the thing that was really funny, when we got there, it was kind of like slow. No one was there yet. And as soon as it Mm -hmm. was book time, as I like to call it, I was like, Uh there are people in and out of here. There's one guy getting a jug of daiquiri. There's another guy. I was like, what's happening here? I was like, this is wild. And I saw the busyness. Right. Right. So Mm -hmm. in in terms of sort of like stretching and, and being creative and innovative, like, again, you know, I'm nipping ideas. I see ideas that you guys are executing mm-hmm. on. And I'm like, oh, we can bring this back to Baltimore. Oh, we can do this. <laughs> yes. And yes. So so how do you like balance the need to be creative and innovative with some of those constraints that, that businesses encounter, encounter, like some of the bottom line stuff, some of the funding stuff, some of the staffing things that come up? How do you, you know, stay creative and innovative and w- while balancing sort of the needs of the business? Hmm. Well, that's been a that's been a, a process that that's a that's a that's an interesting question that you just posed to me. How do you stay creative and innovative by having having to have the constraints of the business, right? And the funding of it. Yeah. Um that's a very interesting thing because number one, this has been self-funded by me and my husband. My husband says he's the funder of the last four years, right? Yeah. So that's very interesting. And what how I've how I've done it now is that I'm finally a nonprofit. We just became a nonprofit last year. So we've been operating it for four years. We've been a nonprofit for about eight months. And what I'm doing with literacy and the Eat and Read uh, literacy project is that I'm operating in the business. Mm-hmm. So 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 the literacy project that I'm running right now is is working in partnership with the business, right? So it took me a while to figure that out. Like, how am I going to keep this business person happy mm-hmm. by, uh, by him allowing us to operate inside of it, gotcha. right? Yeah. And um, so I'm, I'm, I'm working in a partnership with the business. Uh, so he provides free food if somebody buys a book. You know, and uh, so he's helping me make reading fun, but yeah. I'm using I'm using the business as a vessel to do what we're doing. That that makes so much sense. And kind of listening to because you because you touched mm-hmm. on it a little bit, you know, when we were there. And yeah, it, it does make sense. And I think, you know, like just how everything is kind of aligned and, and, and attached with each other. Like you buy this mm-hmm. book on gumbo, here's some gumbo for you that you're going to take home with you. So right, right. it's, it's not right. only, it's not only enriching the minds and the, the culture of folk down there, but also filling their bellies and, and giving them a space. And I think the other thing that's really cool about it. And I, I think that you as a, as a resident in, in the local down there, identifying like there's a need going back to this sort of idea around, you know, we have, you know, different spots that have like literacy issues or what have you, or a literacy mm-hmm. desert, or even mm-hmm. a food desert in some places that like right now in Baltimore, mm-hmm. I live in a food desert, right? So okay. mm-hmm. it's like when you're feeling the need, it's like, all right, how do I make yes. this something that I can grow and extend? You know, you know, what's interesting uh, when you say food desert, when we were in the grocery business down here in New Orleans from 1978 to about hmm, when Katrina hit. We didn't look at where we were as a food desert. I mean, that's an academic term that came about and a, a, a policy making term that came about food desert. But it is interesting how it's it's so used now. And then mm. also the book desert. Con- but when we were operating the grocery stores before we got into Melbourne, yeah. we didn't know we were in a food desert. We just know that 
we were selling a lot of food out the grocery store. Right. So, so, so the aspect of the, the of the book desert, I understand what a book desert is termed as. Mm-hmm. And I understand that the terms are made for policy, policy wonks and policies to get enacted. But uh, I'm giving out books because I, I'm not giving out books because we're in a book desert. Um, I'm giving out books and, and being a part of this of the authors giving out the books through me because I see people's eyes light up when they get the book. Yeah. And and there's something about a light in a person's eyes that keeps you doing what you're doing. Yeah. So um, the term book desert or food desert, it, it's quite interesting to me. Yeah. But, and, I, but I understand it. Yeah. And I, and I think like, you know, with and, and I want to talk about like numbers a little bit. I'm a data analyst. Right. So mm-hmm, I'm always mm-hmm. interested in the numbers. So, yes. you know, it's, share a little bit about the numbers within the like the literacy program as far as like you've had some of the biggest, some really big names yet, like lots yeah. of authors like work with you guys. And, you know, so essentially for, for those who are undipped and uninitiated, tell them pretty much what the, the program is, what the project is rather like. You know, we were there and we saw like the sort of virtual like talk through and yeah, yeah. it was books going on. I think it was like maybe 100 or, or more books that were there. Right. So tell us about that. Well, you know, um, the virtual aspect of it came about because COVID hit. Mm-hmm. So we, we we had this literacy project going on. And basically what it is, you uh, eat at Melba's at uh, Tom between 12 and 1 um, on a Friday, either Thursday or Friday between 12 and 1. You meet an author and you get the book for free. And uh, uh, when the author's there, I mean, it depends on what author's there. When Matthew McConaughey was there, he had a line out the door, right? (laughs) But some authors might, and he gave away 100 books in an hour. But the 100 books is the magic number. And what happens is within an hour, usually the author sees about 40 people within the hour, 40, 50 people, because Melba's, uh, caters, uh, we have about 100 people an hour that come through the door mm-hmm. uh, or 50, 50 to 100 people an hour that come through the door so we give away the books 50 books and then after the author leaves we'll give away the additional 50 to the next 50 people that come so that's how we get rid of the 100 books nice. um, and the, but in the last four years we've given away 18,500 books wow. all with all with author participation. I'm just not handing out books, Rob. Yeah. I'm handing out books that the author has said, yes, I will come here and give them away. So we are offering a voice, not just a book. It's not like a bookstore, right? I mean, yeah. there's, there's no profit being made on the books. And um, it's just engage with the community. And make reading fun and make it where, hey, a person that walks in and sees it says, wow, this was fun getting this book. I'm going to read this book. <laughs> it it adds another level to that experience. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that's exactly what happened to me. And that's why I know it's so powerful. I'll always remember the first book I got from an author was from a former nun. Her name was Karen Armstrong. And I remember she was signing the books. I think it was the history of God yeah. or the fields of blood. I forgot which one, but Karen Armstrong handed me a book and signed it. And I read that whole damn book. <laughs> and it was, and it was, it was just, just because I met her and shared mm-hmm. a little small talk with her made me want to read the book deeply. Yes. I, I hear that. I hear that. And one of the things I, I think that's interesting is where, as things become more and more digital, I think one thing mm-hmm. as far as like the sort of DNA of your brand, your business is, you know, it's, it's in person, you know, I think that's the piece mm-hmm. of it. And in addition to that, I, I start playing with this idea. We all have limited space as to yeah. what we're going to have on us. So, you know, if I get a book directly from someone, like I got a mm-hmm. few when I was down there, that's going to go mm-hmm. in my studio. That's going to be in my space. There are books right. that I might read. It might be the audio books or it might be the library situation where this is a, a temporary sort of thing. But when mm-hmm. it's something that's tangible, you were able to connect on it. It's much more valuable than the book. It's the experience. That's right. That's right. It's the experience of the of the entirety of how you even got the book. Yes. Um. 
so how how do some of the um the, those connections with the authors come about like is there like like describe that sort of like selection process that sort of like we're going to talk with you know 25 authors this year and we want to focus in these areas how does that go about well there's no complete we yet so we have our first board meeting uh with this first night so it's it's been actually kind of mostly me and listening to people of what they interested in because you know you always got to listen to the land like my husband says yeah. you know and and so how people people are starting to say how do you select the books and the way I've selected it is from a, a staff member made me realize how I'm selecting the books. Hmm. His name was Ty, and he worked over there for five years. And one day he's flipping through the pages and he says, you know what I tell everybody, Jane? He says, I tell everybody, all these books are just like a college course. <laughs> You've given us a whole college course here. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. So, so I almost feel like a street professor. In, in, in a way. So I'm selecting a book in regard to how would I want to run this class? Or what do I think people need to know now what's going on in the world? Uh, so that's it. And we've, we've been dealing with nonfiction. Mm -hmm. For some reason, I have an affinity to nonfiction. Uh, I'm not one that likes to get lost in fiction, although I know the value of it and creative fiction and creative nonfiction and but I doubled major in history and religious studies. And I, and, and I feel as though that a lot of the vein of which we select is in that regard, right? Of history and religious studies. And we got children's books, right? So um, I do foresee that in the future, we will sit down one day and say, okay, we're inviting 25 authors this year. Who are they going to be? Uh, but right now it's just organic and, and giving people what they seem to be interested in. And, and the field that I see people interested in is, um, religion and spirituality and history and politics and what's going on right now. And, and shifting, shifting to, uh, books a little bit more. Um, mm -hmm. so author is a part of your, your background as well. So we have to talk about that. Uh, mm. so what are some of the main themes and lessons that you and your husband, Scott, share in your book from GED to Harvard, then INC 500, how two teams went from GEDs to building the fastest growing business in New Orleans? Yeah, well, I'll tell you one thing. Uh, that's all, you know, all God gets the glory because for all of this, yeah. Um, yeah. I have a deep faith in God. And I believe you have to walk your walking path in life and things come about. I didn't want to write the book. Yeah. I did not want to write this book uh, because I knew how hard it is to write a book for a heart to come out. I mean, yeah. how do you take 40 years of business and put it in? A couple thousand words. I don't know. I think we had 30, 40,000 words, right? Like I'm, I'm like, I told my husband when he, when they approached us, cause we had won some award with Inc 500 that we were the fastest growing small business in America, which is Pole Boy Shop Melvis. And then they were selecting authors to write books for the ones that won. And you had to put a proposal for the book. And I was like, Scott, I don't want to write this book. It's just too hard to do that. And, um, but I went, I went with him with his decision to do it, and I'm so glad I did it. And I guess the message in the book is, uh, wow, there's so many messages in the book. It's written between, it's written as a, a conversation between my husband and I. And I guess the message in the book is, uh, it definitely takes two people to do anything, yeah. and and you are going to, um, you are going to come up against a lot of things in business. And you're going to fail a lot at a lot of things. And you just can't look at it as mistakes against you as a person. It's just learning. But uh, nothing happens overnight. Yeah. That's something in the book. But one of the main things in the book is um, you just got to be good. You got to make good decisions and be the best person you can where you are in whatever decision you need to make. Yes. And that's about it. And you just give people uh, in business the 
best things you can. I mean, we were just little grocery stores, 1,500 square feet. But when you walked into that grocery store, that produce was beautiful. There were no uh, bad produce. Uh, you know, we didn't, we didn't try to put the bad produce at the bottom of the box and sell you the top of the box, right? I mean, it's just, just do the best you can where you are. And when you look back on life, it's all going to be okay. And that's the motto in the book. Um, just do what you can. That's that's important. The best you can when you are. That is that's so important. And it's been a it's been a been a thing that I've been like diving into this 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 book about um, mm-hmm. like Japanese cultural things. And it's this 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 concept mm-hmm. called uh, gen, genbate. And it's essentially that. You know, people talk about you know, good luck and all of that, but it's like not that's not quite mm-hmm. good luck. It's for that high idea, it's like you know, it's out of your, it's in your hands, you know, you take ownership of it. And it's basically saying, yeah. you know, do your best, make sure you're doing your best and yeah. luck is going to be in your favor regardless, but that's outside of you. You're controlling what you're doing and you just got to get forth your best effort. And I've been, you yeah. know, I think it's no coincidence that I started reading and finished a lot of that book actually before getting down to new Orleans, you know, cause that's, that's mm-hmm. one of the things that I, I see about the city or what have you, when I come down there is like, Folks are going to persevere. There's always a party. There's always a festival. Mm-hmm. People are always going to shake it up. And <laughs> yeah, we always win. We got too many festivals. <laughs> Might be a few too many. <laughs> we really do, Rob. We got too many. Oh my goodness! I, I mean, it's getting out of hand. Look, I'm telling you. <laughs> I mean, look, I love the party atmosphere and all, but they coming out with a new festival every every week. I mean. It seems like I, w- I was joking about it because of some of the places I hit and just some of the connections and doing these these interviews down in, in New Orleans and in, in person. Uh-huh. Uh, Kumari was like, mm, she was like, I feel like they're gonna throw you a festival down here. You're making too many connections real quick. <laughs> I was like, man, you throw them left and right, man. Rob Lee podcast festival, you know, right? Robert Delacroix. Right? Why not? <laughs> <laughs> Why not? So. Uh, I, I have um, two more questions and then I got some rapid mm-hmm. fire questions for you. So all right, th- this next one goes like this um, and, it, and it ties to what you were just mentioning. I think I, I read that um, mastering the smaller details help helps us uh, gain confidence when we inevitably run into a roadblock. We run into something that's an impediment. Um, do you agree with this? And if so, how do you like sort of strengthen your confidence in whether it's in business, whether it's in putting out a new and innovative idea? Because you guys are doing a lot and I, I dig it. So talk about that a little mm-hmm. bit as far as, you know, kind of, you know, conquering those sort of smaller, you know, details and, you know, helping with confidence. Yeah, well, um, the smaller details, I think, are important. I mean, I just remember, you know, I think it comes from my upbringing, too, in the Catholic school system. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, hate to say it goes back to that. I mean, you got to do things well and you got you got to be disciplined in what you're doing, you know. Um, so I was taught my house was very disciplined when I was younger. We didn't we didn't watch TV a lot. We did out. We did what we needed to do. But the discipline aspect of the little things, I mean, just like in the grocery business that I was in, you had to front the shelves right. You had to turn the labels right. You had to rotate correctly right. So it's the little things. You know, the the end caps at the end of the shelves had to be neat and the labels of the product turned right. The signs had to be, you know, perfectly written. Um, So the aspect of doing little things right, I think, um, pays dividends over the long term. And I think there's even something in the Bible about that, right? If you do, uh, I don't know what verse it was or whatever, but it's basically, if you want something given to you, you got to do little things well. I mean, there's some parable in the Bible about that. And then you'll get the bigger things or whatever like that. But the confidence factor is an interesting thing that you say because I think I think the younger folk and everybody are always thinking about confidence and how you get confidence. And I never did have that problem, Rob. Mm. And and not to say that I I and I think it comes from my upbringing mm. of I was loved, mm. right? So when you're loved and um 
you you have a dose of confidence inside of you that lives in you. That makes sense. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So so I'm never looking in the mirror asking myself for confidence. I don't even think of it really. And which is quite strange when you ask them the question, right? But I think that's more of a thing. I, I, I can't quite put my finger on the confidence factor other than uh, I think I have it inside of me, but it was mostly given to me uh, through the love of my parents and also my thoughts of that I am loved by God yeah. and I'm a worthy thing. And I think that gives me my confidence. That's I, And I think I think a lot of us have that. And I think to, to, mm-hmm. to dovetail mm-hmm. your point, I think with some of the younger folks that encounter it, we we run into so much information overload um, when it comes to yes. social media, the whole comparison thing, and we, we we get on there and it's like, oh, everyone's living a great life, no losses, and yeah. we think that in comparison that we suck for whatever reason, and it's not true, but I think it is a constant small poking at you that somehow you're not yes. worthy of whatever, and you naturally have it. And sometimes it's um, being reminded of that. And, you know, I can, you know, say that I've been, you know, podcasting for now 14 years. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we look for those sort of validation things. But really, me me having the desire and the courage to do it is the validation. And I'm happy and enjoying doing it. So, you know, that's that's kind of what it is. But definitely, I, I agree with you. No, I feel sorry for the younger folk today to have such comparisons uh, thrown at them. And I, I didn't think that way when I was when I was younger. It's just uh, I'm so lucky to have confidence inside of me. Yeah. So this this is the last like real question. And I, I think this is the one you already have an answer queued up for it. So this is going to yeah, be great. Yeah, yeah. Um, what are what are three things that define New Orleans culture? <laughs> well, three things. Uh, you know, we're very unique, but there's reasons why we are the way we are. One thing, one thing that defines us is it's hot and messy, <laughs> right? We hot. We are. It's hot around here during the summer, and 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 I think that that has some, that definitely has something to do with our slow nature, right? So, so we, we I, I see all kind of things being written about the slow movement of reading or slow movement of food. We just hot down here and we don't move fast. Right. So we don't rush with things. The other thing is, uh, did, did you notice that when you were here that it's just slower? Yes. It's, it's a great change of pace because everything up here yeah. is like super fast. It's not too slow. Yeah. It's, it's about my pace for me. Cause it's like, Oh, let me slow myself yeah. down because this person is actually talking <laughs> to me versus this is a transaction. So that, that's right. the thing. It's a r- reminder we, to be a human again, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're not looking to set the world on fire. We're just looking to get through the day around here. Right. And the, the other thing is um, we I always think about because we are port city. Mm-hmm. Right. And we started as a port city and we helped build half of America right through the port. We talk to each other. Mm. You know, when things are coming off the ship, uh, we just are talking people. So I think with the hotness and also that we had to talk to each other, it just keeps going. But I think one of the things that makes us really unique, and I really thought about this for the last 15 years, and it's this idea of of, um, we always have disaster at our door. Every year, Rob, a hurricane can come wipe us all yeah. out. So we have we have this collective disaster mindset that we know intuitively that we depend on each other. Yeah. I mean, even with Hurricane Katrina, you might have had all the government saying all kinds of things, but it mostly depends on your neighbor being able to help you out yeah. at the end of the day. Um, it shouldn't be like that all the time, right? In regard to policies that's supposed to take care of everybody. But I really think this collective mindset of ours that we come together during hurricane season and disasters all at our door makes us a different person, makes us different people. Yeah. And we rely and we rely on each other. So that's 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 what I've come to discover as I reflect upon life as a New Orleanian. Thank you. That's 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 great. That's great. How that sound? 
I mean, that's it's the truth. It's well said. Uh, and uh, I think I think you put a better point on it, which I was trying to articulate earlier. That's that's what I see down there. Mm-hmm. And um, okay. And 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 I'll close on this before we get to those rapid fire questions. I mm-hmm. I, I just thinking, you know, going down there and just reaching out to people and kind of getting this access and being able to do these interviews. And it wasn't much work in terms of how do I get to this person? How do I get to that person? It was like, Oh yeah, come on over. Let's let's do this. And it's very, very neighborly in that regard, especially for someone who's an outsider. But um, as, as a few people I've talked to, it's like, how many times you've been out here? I was like about five times. Yeah. He was like, ah, you know some of the places. You've been to Melba's, my guy. You're you're you've moved up a level. It's like you've been to Melba's mother's. Ah. And- <laughs> That's funny. I like so that. So give me a, a little street cred. So I like it. I like it. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so That's good. So I want to hit you with five rapid fire questions. Um <laughs> they're they're ridiculous questions. They're fun questions though. Ah, you're gonna cycle, you're gonna cycle lot, you're gonna cycle analyze me right here. A little bit, just a touch. Okay, uh, all right, let's start. Uh, <laughs> so, this I, I'm gonna I'm gonna start off with the more actual thought thought oriented question, and the rest of it is kind of just like food questions, what have you. Uh, how does a place like any city? Let's 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 use New Orleans, what have you, but I think it's applicable for various cities. How does a place grow in terms of like? I, I guess bringing in more talent, bringing in more resources, and having more attention while keeping this cultural identity. I think you know I'm witnessing it here in Baltimore, where there are more folks that are coming in that have an interest, but it may not necessarily be Baltimore centric. It may be this sort of shift of we want to be like DC, and we're not DC, mm-hmm. we're Baltimore. So how does mm-hmm. a place like balance balance that from your your perspective? Like how do we bring in? you know, new ideas and welcome new people in, but while keeping what makes us us or makes New Orleans, New Orleans. Hmm. That's a rapid fire question. You know, I really haven't thought of that much, but, I, but, but at the end of the day, Rob, we only hear about 80, 85 years. Mm-hmm. There's only so much mean you can control or the system can control or I think you never... I think you never lose a place uh, completely. Yeah. You know, with people, with people saying, "Oh, you're going to lose this because this is coming in." Yeah. People keep things going on, and uh, you might lose elements of certain things, but it never, it never really goes away. But it gets better. I love it. Um, so. I had I had a good uh, professor tell me once. He says uh, how he said it. He said it's the same but different. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of truth to that. So, uh, but but since you know since Hurricane Katrina, I I have been up close and personal to understand how things do change, right? I mean, like nothing's the same from the little community that I came from, but. Mm-hmm. And which is sad and you can lament about it, Mm -hmm. but it's other people and and new people and people of people. And I don't even know how fully to answer that, but it just keeps rolling, Rob. So you can't stop things, but hopefully whatever does come into a community will make it better. Yeah, it's it's uh, being hopeful. For that and yes, you know having the folks that are there and I, and I like the way that you put it like you know time is there's a limited amount of time so there's certain pieces that may go away that may change and so on yeah. but a place is still going to be that place and I think that's that's important to sort of realize because a lot of folks are apprehensive to even the mm-hmm. most minute change and yeah you know, I had some I had some snob conversations and I'm one of those snobs. Mm-hmm. I'm like, look, don't, uh-huh. don't don't put any, you know, turkey in my shrimp and grits. Make it make it right. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't, don't change <laughs> yeah. it. Don't change it now. But, you know, other things just like, all right, we can bring a little bit more of that in here. It's fine. Right. I think every breath I think every breath we take, mm-hmm. every breath we take changes us. Hmm. And and change comes no matter what. Yeah. So there's, if there's one thing, if there's one thing in life I do see is that change happens and we can't stop it. And I have a belief in God that in, in all due time, it's changed for the better. Yeah. 
change is good. So I want to hit you with the uh, next one I got for you. This is just mm-hmm. a either or. This is, again, food related question. Uh, onion rings or French fries? What do you prefer? Onion rings. You get it. But I like I like <laughs> onion rings. Yeah, onion rings. Good fried onion rings, real onion rings, not no frozen onion rings. <laughs> See, with salt and pepper, but extra pepper. That's so new. Wow. It's just like I want the real. <laughs> I want the real thing. I don't want that frozen nonsense. Right. Don't give me a big old <laughs> onion ring that was in a freeze and it's perfect. I don't want that. Um, what did you have for breakfast? I'm I'm very interested in that these days. Oh, what did I have for breakfast? It's not good, Rob. Should I tell you the real truth? Sure, please. <laughs> I had a cup of coffee with heavy whipping cream and two handful of potato chips. Oh, man. <laughs> That's bad, Rob. That's a very right? interesting but breakfast. Look, <laughs> but look, it was avocado oil potato chips. Well, that's that's just the good oil. That's the good fat, right? Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's the good oil. Well, it was an open bag, right? Now I was reading a book, uh, a book, and I made the coffee, and the bag of chips was open right on side of me, and I two handfuls of avocado oil potato chips. I mean, it would be irresponsible. Not, not the whole bag. Yeah, not the whole bag, just two handfuls. It would be irresponsible not to eat any of those chips that it is just right there. I mean, you're you're doing a disservice, <laughs> right if there. anything. That's right. So that's the truth. Um. Have you ever Googled yourself? When was the last time you Googled yourself? When's the last time I Googled myself? I do it regularly for myself. And yeah, it's... you know, you know, there was, there, there's a person, let me, let me tell you something about that yeah. though. When's the last, probably the last time I Googled myself was when actually when I was given, you needed information on my bio. <laughs> I'm like, I don't, I don't know my damn bio. I don't have a, like a bio. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to send him some links. So that's the last time I, so man, that's pretty, that's pretty bad. So that means I Googled myself, you know, just the other day, but that was for you. I appreciate that. Other than that, I probably Googled myself, I don't know, a year ago. And Uh I don't know, you could probably subpoena Google and they'll tell you when I Googled myself. That's great. Right. But uh, there is one thing I will say about that though. There's a there's a person I know this this woman I I'm, I'm I know and I purposely don't Google people like when I meet them or when I'm gonna meet them I don't Google them Rob I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to know somebody I don't check out somebody and make sure they somebody before I meet them yeah and I know a lot of people do that these days but just like I don't read reviews for a book until I read the book. I won't read the reviews. Now, uh, my husband, he's always Googling somebody, right? Because he, because he, he Googles them. But I don't, I don't Google people, Rob. No, I, and I, I don't, that. and I don't really Google myself. Yeah, I like I for the nature of what I'm doing, so I don't sound like a complete boob here, and I know anything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I have to to a to a degree, but yeah, yeah. For for the most part, you know, I'm trying to come up with what do I find interesting based on what I know about this person and. You know, what I've learned about this person. But, you know, as the conversation goes, you know, it might be this is surface level, but I'm not Googling mm-hmm. to say like, oh, Jane likes onion rings. I'm not doing that. I'm I'm going to yeah, ask yeah. you. So I think that's the mix, too, that, that comes out of it. Right. Uh, and look, I got a story of a Google of 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 one time I invited an author yeah. and and I invited him. And then somehow it came about. I was talking to somebody and they said, did you Google him lately? And I'm like, no, I ain't Googled him. He's a local author. I invited mm-hmm. him. He's got a great book that's out. And then and then I Googled him and he had a couple issues wrong, a, a couple issues with the law. Oof. And I came I came real close to, 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 to uninviting him. But thank the dear Lord, I didn't let that get under my skin. Yeah. Right. Because I said no. And we talked about it. Come to find out his mother is next door to me once a week. And and it's just that Google and aspect can make you look at people or yourself in the wrong way. Yeah. Yeah. And uh it has to be it has to be taken out of the conversation sometimes. I think there's a yeah. such thing as is too much information and that's right. 
also we we know how some of these things work there's an influx of incomplete stories incorrect stories and i you know if i there are certain red flags you can kind of tell like i don't know if this is a fit but in other instances it's just like all right i'm 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 gonna let the person talk and then i should be able to tell from a conversation right it's a shame uh everybody's narrative is gonna be formed by google and it, it, it there's, there's a lot lost there believe me yes so, so this is the last rapid fire question i have mm-hmm. um so you know when i take melba's lunch and literacy is the theme i'll add laundry to that what is okay. <laughs> what is another l word that could go under the melba's banner i mean i feel like there's four l's i feel like there's a fourth love. love love oh my god yes. there's love I mean, at Melba's, we even spell it M-E-L-B-A and apostrophe S, but the apostrophe is a love, uh, a heart. That is great. I noticed that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Love. It's all about love. I was going to say libations, but love love works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> libations. Well, I didn't know. I didn't even know that was a word until about four years ago when I started studying religion. We just <laughs> called it liquor, right? But it's <laughs> um, another L. It's another L. Yeah, there's another L. So love and learn and literacy and um that's about it, Rob. So that's how the world goes around with love. That's it. That's great. So that's actually all of the questions that I have. And I okay. I, I want to close out on um again thanking you for being a part of this podcast yeah. and just sharing your right. time with me. And um Yeah, I appreciate it. You have a beautiful voice. Well, thank you. And uh <laughs> Yeah, and I appreciate you. I appreciate you talking with me. Absolutely. Um, I want to um let let you um, invite you to tell the folks where they can check out all of the things you've got going on, Melba's, your website, all of that good stuff. The floor is yours. Ah, I think you can go to melbas dot com, and um, melbas dot com, and I guess Google us. Google, <laughs> Google, Google Melba's, and Google just Google Melba's and. Eat and read at Melba's. And what's going on with Melba's in New Orleans? So just Google it like that. You'll find something about us. Like, and I look, like any, any, yeah, and anybody that's listening out there and you, you got a good book, uh, contact us and we'd love to feature you if we got the room. Thank you so much. So there you have it, folks. I want to again thank Jane Wolf for coming on to the podcast. And I'm Rob Lee saying there's arts, culture, community, love in and around your neck of the woods. Just got to look for it.